This is Kevin. This is Evan. This is Eliza. And this is Village Talk. We have another one for you guys today. This is going to be us interviewing Civic Circle, one of the partners of Nonprofit Village, uh, which is one of the which is the company that works with Capital Workspaces, in which we have done our podcast running with Scissors for the last two uh, seasons, actually. So, uh, pleasure to have you on board, Eliza. Thank you for uh, coming in to interview. This is actually take two of our interview, so appreciate you coming back to uh, to get this done with us. Thank you so much for having me. So we're going to go right into this uh, Civic Circle. What is Civic Circle is going to be the main question. And then um, we're going to go into some of the fun facts uh, about what you guys do, what, how you guys are helping the people around you. And then we're going to go into some really fun facts about some stuff that you do outside of the job as well, because the people want to know. So we're going to start off with uh, Evan asking the first question, and then we're going to go back and forth between the two of us. Alrighty, so to start things off, how did this all begin for you? And then what drove you to start the Civic Circle? Yeah, so the Civic Circle teaches young students civic skills that we call seven steps to democracy, including civility, which we call listen, and news literacy, which is learn, and voting, which is choose. And all of this grows out of my passion for democracy, which I developed during 30 years as a journalist covering political money and politics. Um, and also my side gig, if you will, as a children's singer and songwriter. So what we do is we use song and songwriting to make civics fun and accessible to young kids. Wow. She really does it all. She even writes songs on the side. Um, I'm going to follow that up, I guess, with, uh, so what was the most important thing since we got the rundown on what the civic circle is, what was the most important thing for you, uh, in your push for civic education for the next generation? Like what was the main driving force behind that? So here's the interesting thing. I realized when I was covering Capitol Hill and Congress and government, when I talked to people, uh, sort of in the normal in the real world, if you will, uh, I realized that I had more faith in the system and in democracy and in government than they did. And this was because I got to see it up close. You know, I got to see the examples of bills that passed, even though the big money wasn't behind them, or people that won elections, even because, even though they had a grassroots-driven effort. You know, that it, I realized that others don't share my love of and faith in democracy, and I really wanted other people to experience the same faith that I do, because frankly, democracy doesn't work if we're not uh, engaged. And if we don't have faith in it, if we're so disillusioned that we're like, I'm just going to drop out, then the whole thing starts to fall apart and it doesn't work. Uh, so really, you know, at a certain point after doing journalism for about 30 years, I, I started to feel the need to give back and do something in a different vein. I kind of asked myself, well, what do I care about most in life? And really, th this is what I care about most in life is, you know, voter engagement, civic engagement. These are my passions. And the idea of using music as a teaching tool uh, is a way to kind of marry my other passion, which is music uh, and songwriting and singing. And uh, I love working with young students. And uh, it just kind of brings together all of my interests and skills. And, you know, during my years as a journalist, I was serving on a variety of nonprofit boards. I served on the board of 
the Institute of Musical Traditions. I served on the board of Class Acts, which later became Carpe Diem Arts. Um, you know, I, ser- I ser- uh, served on the board of the Sweet Chariot Music Festival, which puts on a music festival in Maine every summer. Uh, so I had a lot of background in nonprofit activities and musical activities and democracy activities, and they all kind of come together in this organization. Absolutely. And um, just as a quick side note for the viewers, uh, I did notice that the last time we had talked, uh, it had actually been October, right before the newest election. And I know that one of the things that you had expressed and also, you know, having this drive for democracy and wanting to see more people engaged, uh, it was kind of cool that one of the things you had talked about with us was that you wanted to see more voter turnout and people to actually, you know, want to be a part of it. And it actually seems like that was the the case this last election. We had some pretty pretty good record numbers in both uh, voting uh, in person and uh, voting via mail. Yeah, it's kind of an overlooked success story because we tend to focus on the negative and we get all alarmed about what doesn't work or where there's conflict. But in fact, it was rather remarkable that we had as successful an election as we did, given all the things that were working against it, given the fact that we had this pandemic, you know, given the fact that we had a a narrative that said that the whole thing is rigged and, you know, uh, that it's being stolen. So, you know, given all the pressures on democracy, the fact that you had this remarkable turnout and so few genuine problems at the polls, uh, it was really an incredible success story. Um, and, and it did a lot have to do with young people turning out. There was record youth turnout. We still could go higher. Uh, but young people are getting engaged in a number of ways, not just voting, but also advocacy and organizing and activism. Those are all things we're trying to teach our young students. Uh, so it's exciting to see it happening. And, and it is sort of where the hope for the future seems to lie. Absolutely. And I will admit, as as one of those younger people, I did notice that a lot of um, things with the grow of social media and stuff that might be a factor, I did notice a lot of different and uh, more creative, I would say, advertising being focused on those social media platforms, as well as utilizing young artists and stuff as well, which might have been the reason that this young, especially younger voter turnout was very high this year as well. Yeah, I I just think that there's great power in the arts as a democracy tool, uh, both as a way to uh, express people's wishes and hopes for what they want to see the world look like in the future, as a way to mobilize people, uh, and as a way to kind of galvanize uh, engagement. So, yeah, the arts are just a great tool on so many levels. Which goes right back to what you're doing currently with um, with your program, uh, connecting the music and the arts to the uh, the ability to teach people about democracy, about the system, and get them interested in it as well. So that'll go right into our, our third question is more of a future-based question. But Evan, would you uh, read that one for me? Well, yeah, I had something I wanted to add on the last part. Oh, of course. That one. Uh, one thing I wanted to say is I remember when we had the election before last, there was a problem with not enough places to vote in some parts of the country. So in that way, it was kind of almost a blessing that COVID happened because they were really good about providing all the resources to socially distance and still vote. Like, I know for Pennsylvania this year, it completely flipped the election how that was going by the amount of, like, mail-in votes that changed the overall complexion of how that state turned. And so I think that we should be able to keep those resources in place for all elections going forward just to get more people able to vote if they don't want to do that in-person thing going forward. 
Yeah, it was a really interesting thing that came out of this election was that people got to experiment with new things, uh, ballot drop boxes, uh, much expanded uh, absentee and mail-in voting that they liked. Uh, they enjoyed that convenience. They felt it was successful. Uh, people on both sides of the aisle liked it. Uh, election officials on both sides of the aisle liked it. Um, and in fact, we've read a lot lately about states that are trying to restrict voting. But interestingly enough, there's kind of a countervailing movement to expand voting and also institutionalize the voter access procedures that were put in place during the last election. Uh, you're seeing this in Kansas. You're seeing this in Virginia. Uh, you may see it in other states as well. Uh, so th it's almost like you really can't stop the voters and you and you can't stop positive changes because people become used to them. They become accustomed to the, these new uh, things that facilitate voting, and they don't want to have them taken away. But of course, and so in that way, I'm glad that they had a plan in place that actually helped us be more efficient and effective. But speaking of plans, moving into my third question, how do you plan on expanding your program even further now? Well, it's interesting because we've been in a growth mode of a fairly dramatic expansion mode even since COVID, uh, which is a little bit counterintuitive. Um, I think I discussed with you earlier, our original offering was an assembly show, a school assembly show. And we were all poised to give hundreds of school assembly shows, or, you know, not hundreds, but school assembly shows to hundreds of students. And um, we had to put that all on the back burner. So we pivoted to creating educational videos so we can make our program available in that way. And also, we much expanded our after-school workshops, which we offer. Uh, our main partner is um, called Making Home Possible. They provide affordable housing in eastern Montgomery County, and they run an, a community life program, which involves a lot of after-school uh, and out-of-school time activities. And so we're one of the providers of those activities. And, you know, this year we've reached more than 100 students through those activities, which is probably five times more than we reached uh, in the previous year. And in the coming year, we're very fortunate to have received a grant just recently from a group called Campus Compact Mid-Atlantic, which uh, advocates civic learning on college campuses. Uh, but they do support a lot of nonprofits involved in civic learning as well. And so they're going to help us uh, bring in an AmeriCorps VISTA member, which will be the first full-time uh, member of our team. So that's going to help us expand uh, not only through MHP, but hopefully we'll be able to start offering some programming in the schools. Uh, we're thinking about trying to work with the uh, Montgomery County Department of Recreation. Um, there are other collaborative partners that we're in discussion with. So uh, definitely the enthusiasm for civic learning is out there. Uh, the excitement over programs that do new things, as we do, is out there. And uh, we're, we're feeling, you know, that, as I said, we're in the middle of a, a sort of rapid expansion period. Absolutely. Um, wow, five times. That's actually really impressive growth for that short period of time. It is. Um, so I guess I, I'm going to tweak this next one because I want to go right into what you had just said. So in this being a different way of going about what you used to do, which was assemblies in person. Um, what is a really, the most recent you can think of, I guess would be the right way to word it. Uh, the most memorable, recent, rewarding memory for you. 
Well, we just had a big success with uh, a video that we did featuring a song that students had written. Um, we not only write our own civic songs and create educational videos out of them and share them with students as a teaching tool, but we do song collaborative songwriting with the youth. We bring in teaching artists who uh, spend uh, three sessions concurrently with the youth writing a song on a topic such as community or leadership or voting or one of the civic matters that we're addressing in the classroom. And uh, a group of elementary schoolers wrote a really beautiful song expressing hope for the future called We'll Get There Soon, uh, you know, talking about a better future and what it's going to take. Uh, we created a video out of this based on our Zoom singing of the song. We all know that it's not possible to sing together on Zoom because of latency. So we choreographed American Sign Language, which the students all uh, utilized during the group, quote unquote, singing of the song. Everyone was singing on mute, doing American Sign Language, so singing silently, if you will. Uh, our wonderful teaching artist, Leah Morris, took this experience and created uh, a virtual choir out of it. The students actually spent quite a lot of time then going home and recording their own voices. Leah created a virtual choir where we could hear the students singing. We could see them moving to the American Sign Language. She created this incredible video. It was shared with parents and teachers. And so despite COVID, the students were essentially able to have a performance experience. You know, which you just cannot overstate the confidence boost that gives them, uh, the self-efficacy, the pride, you know, so that was really great. Did you or Leah actually um, teach them the American Sign Language, or is that something that they already knew going into it? Uh, I taught them the American Sign Language. It's, it's been an interesting thing, because during COVID, uh, we've choreographed all their student songs to American Sign Language so they could, quote-unquote, sing together while moving, if you see what I mean. They don't actually, we don't hear the voices because of the Zoom latency, but they all move together. Uh, so they, they love that, actually. It's fantastic. And we had done a little bit of that even before COVID, but it's been extremely valuable since COVID uh, because it gives a group, it gives us a chance to have a group experience, even though we're all on Zoom. Um, and just the one more piece of this, is, which is very nice, is that this video is being shared with senior citizens uh, at Ingleside at King Farm as part of service learning. So the, the students are asking questions of the seniors. The seniors will watch the video. They will answer the questions and get back to the students. So it's a community connection across generations. It's a service learning opportunity for the youth. It's a way to bring a little bit of joy to seniors who have really suffered during the pandemic. So there's some really nice dimensions to the whole project. Wow. I mean, it's great that you guys had a basis for it with, um, you know, introducing American Sign Language before the pandemic, but wh that's a very, I mean, that's a great tool to have had uh, because again, yeah, Zoom, it's, it's impossible to have all of those voices on at the same time, but that's, that's actually awesome. Uh, if you're able to, can please, uh, after this, uh, definitely send me a couple of those. Yeah. Yeah, I will do that. And then Evan, it's uh, your go, buddy. So, I mean, it kind of goes without saying that the biggest challenge that we've all faced as people is, of course, COVID. But uh, knowing that, what has been your biggest challenge that COVID has brought you? And how have you been able to overcome it? Or how do you plan to overcome it in terms of your nonprofit? Well, I, I'd say that in a weird way, it's, it's like so many things with COVID. There have been challenges, and there have also been sort of surprising silver linings. An interesting silver lining is because we decided 
well, because we couldn't do our assembly show and we decided to do videos of our songs instead, this is actually pushing us in the direction of creating an entire online curriculum that any teacher anywhere in the country could use. So we're in the process of creating basically uh, an eight-part curriculum that will have uh, a music video and accompanying lesson plan uh, on each of the seven steps of democracy in our program, plus an introduction. Uh, we are fortunate this summer to have an intern coming in from the Do Good Institute at the University of Maryland to take these lesson plans and make them really web-friendly and interactive with youth and accessible to teachers. And that's a tool that we didn't have before. It really means that we could dramatically extend our impact. Any teacher who sort of goes, as, as I did at the beginning of this program, gee, there's nothing out there to teach elementary schoolers about civic skills. Well, now there is, you know, and it's going to be out there. So that's absolutely great. Um, I'd say the biggest challenge, funnily enough, has really been in terms of our governance and our organization for the following reasons. Uh, we lost a couple of board members. They were just overwhelmed. People with young kids have just been too busy and too stressed yeah. to do anything at all besides live from day to day. And, and we're still trying to replace them, candidly. You know, we have a strong board. We have eight members on our board. But we'd really like to bring in a couple of more, and we just haven't been able to do it. And I, I think that all of the networking that you do in so-called real life where you kind of meet people and you schmooze and like, hey, what, maybe you'd like to have an event with us. And people go, yeah, and they come to one of our concerts, and then they get interested. All of that is taken away. It's just much, much harder to create that personal connection to the level where someone's going to actually join your team, you know? I know so it that's one area that's been hard for us. Sorry to interrupt. Well, yeah, I, I, I remember um, last time when we talked, we I remember saying when you looked at your board prior to the interview that you almost had like the super team or super friend of board that everybody was so accomplished and so decorated around like nonprofits and like business, and you were like the most ready to go of all the boards we talked to. Well, thank you for saying that. We still have a fantastic board, you know, but uh, <laughs> it is interesting that. I don't think board service is something that people are looking for in a big way during this pandemic. I think they're just sort of putting their heads down and trying to get through. Absolutely. Um, have you ever thought of maybe in like for a potential or someone that you'd be interested in having as part of the board, have you thought about maybe introducing or like just having them join that zoom call with those uh, kids doing the American sign language and, and just let them see the experience for themselves and really get a feel for it. I know it wouldn't be the same as an in-person concert or as, you know, like you said, schmoozing and, and actually getting to know them face-to-face. -face. But uh, could that be an option as well? I, I definitely think so. And I do think, actually, you know, the video that we created, which shows the children in mm -hmm. the Zoom classroom, is also quite appealing. Um, maybe there are people listening to this podcast who are going to be <laughs> interested in joining our board. And if they are, feel free to email me. Join the board, people. <laughs> Um, I guess going into the, the challenges uh, overall, because, again, COVID has been the most recent and probably the most impactful challenge, although I'm glad to hear that, at least for you guys, it has brought its its positives as well with the growth as well as being able to adapt with some of the stuff that you already had in place. But what is something that through all of this, even pre-COVID, pre-all of it, what is something that you wish you had known when you started all of this that, that might have been able to get you there that much quicker or 
maybe just something that would have made it a little bit easier in the beginning parts of creating the civic circle? Well, I'm going to answer that question by saying that I'm glad I went into it with as much preparation as I did. You know, I had taken a class on how to start a nonprofit at Montgomery College. Then I took an entire nonprofit certificate program at Georgetown University from the Court School of Public Policy. Uh, I joined a group called Nonprofit Montgomery that has a million trainings, and I've gone to and continue to go to all those trainings. And uh, I feel really fortunate in that sense that I have so much, uh, I have called in all of this institutional support. But the one thing I did not realize, I knew it was going to be a lot of work. I didn't realize quite how much work it was going to be. I didn't realize it was going to take probably five years, you know. Uh, well, actually, probably we'll be hiring our first board member, I mean, our first full-time uh, member of the team after four years. But I didn't realize it was going to be that long. I had a very ambitious plan that, you know, by year three, we'll have two people on the staff and we'll have this huge budget. And like, it just takes longer than that, you know, to build an organization. It takes a long time. It takes patience. Uh, and to some degree, it needs to grow organically. You know, groups that grow too fast can sometimes collapse. They get in trouble. They overreach. To be honest, it was good that we hadn't grown faster than we did when the pandemic hit because we were still small and we were able to be fleet-footed and adapt and not have an issue of, like, firing staff because guess what? We hadn't hired them yet, you know? <laughs> so, so, but, yeah, the amount of time and patience and work that goes into building an organization out of nothing, it is massive. You really do have to put your head down for the long haul. Exactly. But, uh, and that's actually something that I'd heard from every single interview we've done was the first thing was, well, I didn't know it'd be this <laughs> when I first started, or I had these big dreams. And then I realized really quickly, it would take a little longer. <laughs> mm. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's encouraging to know that I'm in good company. Oh yeah. But uh, all of them have also mentioned the same thing you just did where, uh, it was, Great, they were grateful in the long run because it ended up working even better for them having had that slow process and being able to really work out all of the kinks as well. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I want to do a shout out to, uh, to uh, the nonprofit village because one of the things I got from that was uh, a whole training uh, in a nonprofit incubator, uh, which during COVID, frankly, they offered uh, subsidies and, and, you know, free participation in a, a great number of uh, consultations with high-level uh, experts. And so, boy, that was another interesting silver lining from COVID because, you know, we would have invested to do that at some point when we could afford it. But, you know, there have been resources made available to nonprofits during COVID that weren't there before, partly because Montgomery County recognizes the importance of the nonprofit sector. Government cannot do all of it by itself. Nonprofit organizations are critical to, to fill in the gaps of kind of civil society needs. So, um, yeah, the Nonprofit Village has been among the many groups that have offered services that have been quite helpful and supportive to ours. Absolutely. And that's why we're here today. Thank you, Nonprofit Village. And um, I'm really glad that they were able to help as well because, uh, again, another thing <laughs> from each interview has also been that, um, well, they wish they'd known a, a Nonprofit Village sooner. But once they did get a hold of the resources, it was um, extremely helpful to be able to take that extra step knowing that you had that stuff at your hands. And then, Evan, it is your turn. 
Thank you, my good sir. Uh, so moving into the seventh question we have for you, what is one piece of advice you would impart on somebody looking to start a nonprofit? Uh, I would say educate yourself. Definitely go and buy a book, do a class online or, you know, through an institution, um, and follow best practices. It's sad to say, but a fair number of nonprofits kind of get started out of someone's basement and they're just kind of willy-nilly and people are running around with no defined roles and no handbook and no rules and, you know, <laughs> it gets a little hair-raising, you know, and I love all the nonprofits that I've served on the boards for, but some of what I've learned is sort of what not to do. And I really, really respect and appreciate the nonprofits that are professionally run. Even a small nonprofit can be professionally run. Uh, and we've definitely tried to do that. And I would recommend for anyone trying to start a nonprofit to do that. Be aware that there are best practices in nonprofit governance and follow them. I remember the last time we talked, you were telling me the one other supplemental class you took was at like a community college nearby. I think it was like Montgomery College. It was like a nonprofit course you were telling me about. Do you remember the name of that course? Uh, well, the course that I took at, um, at uh, Montgomery College was actually years back. This, this was nonprofit has been kind of <laughs> a gleam in my eye for probably a decade. You know, it took me years before I even moved from the idea of it to starting it. But the thing that I took that was probably the most um, substantial as far as training for this goes. It, it was a certificate program at the McCourt School of Public Policy at Georgetown University. Uh, and it's a, it's a certificate, it's an executive certificate in nonprofit management. So it's not quite like going to graduate school. I think I crashed the whole thing into one summer, you know, and maybe went a couple times a week for several weeks over the summer. Um, and you, you can also spread it out differently. You have a couple of options with them. If you're working full-time, you can maybe go once a week over six months. I preferred doing it in the shorter time frame because everything's still fresh in your mind when you go from one class to the next. But, yeah, that is one that I would strongly recommend. But there are even free courses you can take online. Uh, there's a group called Maryland Nonprofits that has trainings and courses. I, I mentioned Nonprofit Montgomery, which has trainings. Uh, nonprofit Village has resources and training. So, yeah, there's there's a lot out there. The nonprofit sector is huge. You know, there there are literally thousands and thousands of nonprofits in this country, and their budgets total into the billions of dollars. So it's an industry. And, you know, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. You can see what other people have done and benefit from their expert advice. Absolutely. I remember the first time that we interviewed you, I remember after watching one of your videos for um, your show that my first remark was that it reminded me of with Schoolhouse Rock met the Wiggles. It was just fun and it was interactive and it's something I knew kids would gravitate to. It was like a really fun experience. And it kind of, that spirit of that like, comment moves into our, our last question for you. Uh, Kevin, did you want to do that one? Yes. Uh, so besides uh, obviously making music and uh, doing the whole songwriting and creating songs. What is something that you do for fun outside of work, outside of the nonprofit, uh, pre and post COVID, if anything has changed between the two? Uh, and then an add on to that would be favorite TV shows. Okay. Well, I am a little bit of an exercise bug. I love to move around and I start every day with a walk and I usually walk at least a second time during the day. Um, I 
go for bike rides and I do stationary bike. I do, you know, different at home, you know, strength training type exercises, just like my personal home gym, if you will, you know, a few little weights here and there. Um, and that's a huge thing for me. It just helps keep me uh, happy and, and sleeping well and sane and all of that. Uh, I take piano lessons. I sing in a chorus, a, a gospel choir at uh, the All Souls Unitarian Church, which is located on Harvard Avenue. And so the way things have changed is that so much of it is now happening inside the four walls of my house, you know. So the choir, I used to barrel down in a car with a car full of people, and we'd all chat, and we'd get there, and everyone would sing, and sometimes we'd have, like, little refreshments. That's all out the window. Now chorus is me looking at a little cell phone and singing my one line by myself into that cell phone. You know, I mean, it's just so much less fun, honestly. But we do get together as a group on Zoom every week and rehearse, all silently singing into our muted, you know, uh, computers. And we interact and the community has kept going. We've kept it going. You know, I think it's important to do that. It sometimes feels like work to sit down in front of yet another Zoom call. But if we don't do that, we're isolating, and that's not going to be good for us either. So, yeah. Oh, and as far as TV shows, well, I think I mentioned to you earlier, I love uh, historical or literary TV shows. So, you know, I, I read a book called All Creatures Great and Small for one of my two book clubs. That's another thing I do for fun. And there was a wonderful series based on that book that I watched. So, you know, charming. Um, any number of literary uh, TV shows. It could be a Dickens story or, uh, uh, you know, uh, an, a Jane Austen uh, novel that's been turned into a series or a movie. I always gravitate to those things. And I like things that are historical. Uh, I, I want to look at the latest thing on Hemingway, you know, all of the Ken Burns documentaries. Wonderful. You know, that, that stuff all interests me as well. Gotcha. Um, Man, every time I interview uh, one of the heads of a nonprofit, I I always hear how they find a way to exercise, and I just feel more fat. I'm like, well, I have no excuses now. Um, Got to go out there and start walking. Uh, we have uh, Cedric from the uh, from uh, Roots Africa that literally plays a basketball game before I wake up for work in the morning. So. Um, Definitely, you guys are definitely motivation on that level because you guys find all of these things to somehow fit into the day and still be able to run a successful nonprofit. Well, I think it's that old maxim if you want to get something done, give it to a busy person, you know? And it's also if you're going to work hard, you kind of need to play hard too. You need to have a balance, you need to be able to do things that shift the energy. So. Absolutely. And I'll definitely uh, check out some of those um, shows because I'm trying to, I'm actually in the middle of trying to find new shows. Um, yeah, good. Uh, one thing I did notice, I don't know if it'd be up your um, alley, but I do know that there was a writer that created the um, Golden Compass books. And, oh, uh, I, I saw all of those. Yes, I read, first of all, I read them all, which I love. And then I watched the whole series and I loved that too. Oh, so, so you did see um, His Dark Materials? Yes, yes, I thought it was very well done, as a matter of fact. I, I mean, sometimes things are not true to the book. There was one I actually dropped called The Luminaries because it was so di disparate from the book that I was getting distracted. 
But the Golden Compass uh, series is quite true to the book. You're the second person I got. That's my next one then. That's got to be, I have HBO Max now. So that's my next one. Uh, you're the second person today to recommend that to me. <laughs> so uh, that's that's the sign right there. I'm about to, I'm about to start that up this weekend. Um, but just, well, first and foremost, thank you for, for taking the time with us to be able to, uh, to get this done. Um, it's part two. <laughs> but uh, once again, this is the civic circle. Um, and before we go into uh, the last little bit, which is just us thanking, uh, you know, Nonprofit Village for, you know, setting all of this up with Capital Workspaces to where we're able to get a hold of uh, different nonprofits and be able to work with you guys to get to learn more about you guys. Without this program, uh, I wouldn't have personally known how many nonprofits are in this area that are doing all of these great things and helping out a lot of people that are literally a couple of miles from my house that I just did not know all this was happening. And like you said, it's a billion dollar industry and a lot of people don't really, well, billions of dollars uh, in industry that no one really like puts as much mind to or to overlooked thing for a lot of people, including myself when I first started this. So, uh, you know, shout out to nonprofit village for getting this set up and capital workspaces for allowing us to not only create this connection, but also do these interviews, which we will be releasing through our podcast, and then we'll be giving you guys a copy as well. Um, but being able to actually, you know, do these interviews and get to know more about you, and then people can learn more about it. And I know we have people with kids that listen. We have people, we might not have the board members you're looking for, but we, uh, we do have a lot of people of different demographics that pay attention to this podcast and that we can also reach out to with the podcast as well, uh, where we can try to, to get more people involved in these nonprofits that are literally just down the road in, in Maryland uh, that a lot of people just wouldn't have known about because it's so overlooked these days with all these other businesses and stuff being, being around just around the corner. So thank you to you guys. And then um, also before we leave, we wanted to quickly. Uh, so someone that has learned about Civic Circle now through this interview and everything, they want to know more. Where do they go? What's the website that they can look for so that they can see these videos so that they can, because it's all on your site. They can yes, see these videos. Yes. yes, I would love to invite people to visit our website. It's www.theciviccircle.org. Uh, if you did a web search just for the Civic Circle, it's the first thing that would pop up. And we also have a YouTube channel. We have a wonderful Facebook page. We're on Twitter. We, in fact, have a Medium channel. We're on Instagram. Um, so, you know, go to the web page. Uh, there's a place where you can sign up if you want to receive updates. And our newsletter, The Civic Voice, which is all about good news of civic things that are happening. Uh, around the country. Um, so yeah, we would love to have people sign up and join our civic circle. Absolutely. Again, that's the civic circle, all one word dot org, www.theciviccircle.org. Right. And uh, what yeah. she, she didn't say as well is that there's also an option to donate. So if you guys are able to, any bit helps. Uh, if you go to that main page, I'm doing it on my phone right now. And if you go all the way down, it has home on the top, and then you go all the way down. Donate is one of the options on the right-hand side. Um, and just any little bit helps as well because these guys are doing a lot of great things. I know it's a pandemic, but this is something that a lot of people don't have as much knowledge on or not learned in as we have discussed. Uh, so 
you know, civic education is very important. And a lot of these kids could really use this resource. So uh, definitely help out if you can. And then just tell a friend about it as well. Thank you so very much, Kevin and Evan. This has been very enjoyable. Of course. Um, see, we, we did this on purpose. We wanted to spend more time with you. <laughs> but um, thank you, Evan, for being able to come in. I think he's calling in from work, ladies and gentlemen. So my man is working <laughs> two jobs today. But uh, that I am. always working hard and then telling me about his naps. But... Uh, wanted to just, again, thank you guys, the viewers. Uh, thank you, Eliza, once more for coming on with us. This has been uh, Village Talk once again with the Civic Circle. Uh, so check them out. Again, this is Kevin. This is Evan. This is Eliza. And this has been Village Talk. Appreciate you guys. Don't forget to tune in.